If you have your Bible, you want to turn to John 14. How's everybody doing today? We got my absolute favorite topic in the Bible this morning, so I'm pretty excited about talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, if you have kids or if you've ever led a large group of people, um, having a plan is important. In our home, uh, what's one of the things I've learned in the past seven months is that with four kids, you kind of got to have a plan. And one of the things that's beneficial and helpful is that is when the kids know the plan. Um, especially um, foster kids, one of the hardest things for them is transitions, going from one thing to the next because it means insecurity. They don't know what's next. They don't know how to how to navigate that. And so. Um, That's incredibly important. We come to the text here and we see Jesus doing the absolute same thing. Okay? What's what's the context? Jesus is about ready to what? Give up his life. Okay? He's on the journey, on the journey to um, the cross. And here we are in John 14. And really what he's doing is he's preparing the disciples for his departure. And he's telling them, here's what you need to know. Here's where you need to be careful. Here's where it's going to go wrong. He's preparing them. He's saying, here's the plan. And at the same time, they wrestle and they struggle and they doubt and they don't understand. Right? I mean, how Jesus is trying to be so clear, yet in the midst of it, the guys are like, Huh? All right, so let's, let's jump in. Um, verse 12. John 14, verse 12. Here's what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will, will also do the works that I do. So, so let's just stop right there for just a second, and let's make this point that Jesus is making to his disciples People should see your life, and it should point to me. You you see what it says? If you believe, you will do the works that I do. So there should be something about our lives, where our lives, in some way, not not perfectly, not in every way, but in some way, are growing more and more and more to looking like Christ. Okay? It says, you'll do... The works that I do, which means we'll care about the things that God cares about. Our hearts should break where God's heart breaks. Now, here's where it gets crazy. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I've studied this passage numerous times, and I've read lots of stuff on this passage, and I've written stuff on this passage, and I will probably always wrestle with understanding the fullness of what in the world does it mean that we'll do greater things than Jesus. Okay, like we could go around the room and we could all share. Like, so what's something Jesus did? What was his life like? You know, anybody walked on water recently? No. Okay? But uh, I appreciate what one theologian says, D.A. Carson. He, he puts... He explains it this way. The greater works Jesus is talking about isn't greater in importance, 
nor will they be more spectacular or greater in quantity, which are my, like we think about. When we think of greater, we think of we're going to do things that are more important than Jesus. Well, that, that's it. there's no way. We're going to do things that like more than Jesus. Well, no, it's not that either. Rather, they will be greater in the sense that they are set in a framework of Jesus' death, resurrection, and will in turn more immediately and truly reveal the Son. Here's why. Okay? These guys here are prophetically thinking and looking forward to an event that they don't understand or know of, but they hear talk about. Okay? You and I have the blessing and the privilege of seeing the mission of God from a historical past event of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Okay, so now our lives are set in a framework of that historic event, but mixed in that is the person of the Holy Spirit, empowering and enabling the life of Christ in us and through us. So that's the context by which Jesus is basically saying, okay guys, I'm going to leave you and when I leave you, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and you're going to go out, and you're going to continue my work, and here's how it's going to go. And I believe he's going to walk through now several things about how life will look filled with the Spirit of God. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, for those of you that have been around church for any length of time, what I'm about to say will not come as a surprise. Okay, the life of a Christian should be characterized by two things that were just mentioned in the text. Can anyone say what it is? What? Commandments. So there should be a sense of obedience, okay? You're like... I'm in church. I've never heard obey Jesus like that. It's new to me. Okay, maybe it is. Um, what's the second one? I'll give you a hint. It begins with an L and ends with a O. Okay, that was helpful. Sorry. Love. So our lives should be characterized by a sense of love for people, affection for people, compassion for people, love for the Lord. And a sense of obedience to him. But here's, here's what's interesting. Is the passage says that that person, which is really what it means to be a, a Christian, that you have something, more importantly, someone, okay, a helper. A helper. Now, how many of you like help? Maybe some of you don't. Okay, um... 6.30 in the morning, all my kids are firing, ready to go, ready to eat. And uh, their favorite thing to eat is eggs. But not only that, their favorite thing to do is help us make eggs. Okay? Um, and there's days when I'm just like, uh, doing it by myself today. And then there's days where it's like, you know, you got to teach them. you got to teach them how to crack an egg. And, um, 
And, uh, and they're getting pretty good, some of them anyway. Um, and so, like, literally, I'll be standing at the stove trying to make eggs, and I'll have kids, like, cracking eggs. Oh, you totally missed the pan there, like, onto the burner, and then, like, it starts smoking and sets off the smoke alarm. And then, like, oh, can I, can I stir it? I'm like, yeah, be, be really careful. Oh, on the backsplash, like, and then, like, can I put cheese on it? And it's like, not that much. Okay. Awesome, right? Daddy, can I help? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. When we think of helper, I wonder if in some way we think of this idea of an individual who wants to find out what we have going and can help assist us. So when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a helper... What he's not saying is, the Holy Spirit's going to come along and say, hey, what are you doing today? And how can I assist you? You got a tough meeting today? How can I help you there? You going to play this? Are you going to do that? How can I help? Like, no. Okay, is God in those things? Is God, is God involved in our life? Yeah, absolutely. But what a helper is, literally, like, let's, let's just get really specific here. Uh, the Greek word is parakletos. It's the marriage of two words, para, which means to come alongside or to come beside, and kletos, which is the word to call. And literally, this word helper is the word advocate. Like picture a courtroom, picture a defense attorney pleading your case. This isn't just a kid by your side or another person by your side helping you, but this is literally the person of God pleading your case, your fight between the flesh and the spirit. Okay, you've been there? You want to resort to the flesh and the spirit of God is, is speaking to you, speaking against your flesh, reminding you of your identity but literally, it's more than just that. It's also the word comforter. But when we think of comforter, we think of simply like wiping your tears, right? Like, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to comfort you. Okay, yes, that's included. But the word comforter here in this sense literally is these two Latin words that literally mean with strength. That the Spirit of God comes to advocate for us in a sense of, I'm going to give you strength for the battle. It's powerful. It's a lot different than a um, three-year-old dropping cheese on the burner, right? But here's where it's profound, verse 17. What does he say? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So I brought some... Maybe you have like a million of these at home? Yeah, me too. I thought I'd ruin some of them. My wife's going to be like, where'd you put the uh, winter clothes? Oh, they're in Christ. <laughs> um, so, every single one of us, I thought about bringing up like, you know, different ones of these with different color lids and like some like maybe like run over one of my car and talk about how some of us are broken and some of us like look better than others and some of us have, you know, red handles and green handles and bigger lids and no lids. But anyway, I thought I'd just tell you that. 
Um, but all of us have different things that characterize us, um, different makeup, different personality. Um, and we tend to fill our lives with all kinds of different things. Okay? Jesus says that the, the nature and character of what it means to be a Christian is that the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. Okay? That the Holy Spirit lives in you and lives in me. So it's not even just the sin. Go back to the term helper. Think about that idea, helper. What's a, we think of someone coming alongside. Like I laid sod at my house the other day and I had a helper. Caleb came over and he was helping me on our hands and knees. We're getting all muddy, laying sod. Okay, like that's not the picture of the Holy Spirit. Residing beside, come along, I'm, I'm over here, God, come on. No, in you. Dwelling inside of us. Okay, so this spirit-filled life, at times, will, will collide with doubt. Okay, Jesus comes along and he says, this is what the mission will look like. It will look like the Spirit of God indwelling you and you walking in loving obedience to me. But, tell me if you resonate with this, there's going to come times where you're going to doubt and you're going to face insecurity. Okay, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you see me because I live, you also will live. Jesus is really pointing out this fact. You're going to at times think I abandoned you. You ever felt that? Like, God, where are you here? God, what are you? I thought you were in control. Like this death, it just doesn't make sense. I thought you were in control. This work situation doesn't make sense. This health situation doesn't make sense. You left me. You abandoned me. What's an orphan? Really someone without a mom or dad. By way of death or by way of abandonment. So one of our foster kids uh, a couple of days ago had a, had a nightmare, a three-year-old, and he woke up in the middle of the night screaming and crying. Danielle gets up, goes to his room, and he's crying for mommy. I want mommy. I want my mommy. And Danielle says, buddy, mommy's here. He's like, no, I want my different mommy. I want my Sarah. That's what he says. And uh, many of you know, but about three months ago, his mom, the kid's mom, passed away. They're, they have, dad is unknown for, for them. We don't know who dad is. And so three months ago, on June 13th, they literally became orphans. So here in this moment, for the next several hours, Danielle lays with him, holds him, Sings over him, prays over him, trying to reassure him, you're not alone. Mommy is here. I'm your new mommy. I'm the mommy God gave you to care for you, to take care of you. Maybe there's times in your life you've been there. And Jesus is saying, there's going to be times in your life where you think, God left me. But God's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I won't. I will come to you. And furthermore, 
I will live in you. And you know what? It's because of the fact that God, through the person of Jesus, died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven that the Holy Spirit was sent to live inside of us. If God doesn't rise again, God's dead, right? If God doesn't rise again, the Holy Spirit doesn't come, and we're not alive. But Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. And then, through that, we see this idea that God destroys the notion of doubt and insecurity and gives us spirit-empowered hope and shelter. Because look at verse 20. This is, this is amazing. It says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So like, okay, let's just picture this. Okay? It's not enough to have two rubbermaids. We've got to have like four. Okay, so what did it say? Picture this. Okay, so here's, here's you and here's me. And Scripture teaches that God resides inside of us. Like, that's pretty amazing, right? But did you know, Christian, that not only does God reside in us, you and I reside inside the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture says that we're baptized into Christ Jesus. That this is us. Okay? You feel safe, secure. You feel like you have a hope. You feel like you have an identity. It's pretty incredible, but not enough, right? Because what does it say? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, get the big dog out with the max latches. You hear that? Christ is in God. Now, listen. He said it to his disciples, and he says it to us today. There's going to come times in your life where you doubt. There's going to come times in your life where you wrestle with insecurity. And you and me, the truth of the matter is that what Jesus says is this is our identity. Not only do we have the spirit of of Christ in us, but we are in Christ, and Christ is in God. That's hopeful. That's a place to rest. But he goes on in verse 21, and look at what he says. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, so, so literally Jesus is saying, your life's going to be characterized by these things. But you know what I, what I take from this? Is he's saying, be careful, because you're going to have the tendency to walk in independence. Okay, listen to this. You're going to have the tendency, I'm going to have the tendency to walk in independence. So, okay, the Spirit of God resides in me. I was saved. We come to church, we sing songs, we celebrate, we're saved. Yet, our lives so often are marked not by the identity we have in the Lord, but more so by the identity we have in and of ourselves alone. Go back to the text. What does it say? Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. I think there's a myth among Christianity that we can be Christians, 
yet really lack any sense of affection for Christ. Yet really lack any sense of growth and maturity in Christ. Are we broken? Absolutely. Do we fail? Absolutely. Is life a bear? Absolutely. Yet. It doesn't hold a stick to the person of God and the identity that we have in Him. Scripture actually says we're sealed in Him. A.K.A. Max Latch. Right? That we're sealed in Him. So, where we tend to run outside of the identity we have, to run outside of any sense of love or affection for Christ, any growing interest in in the things of God, if if, if you're in any type of relationship, any type of friendship that's healthy, here's what it will be characterized by. You care about what they care about. If you're married and you don't care about the things that your spouse cares about, you might be married now, but you won't be married very long. You might live together forever, but you will not have health and vitality in your relationship if you don't have some sense of delight or care about what your spouse cares about, what your friend cares about. Because you know what it does? It just terminates on you. It's just all about you. And Jesus says to his disciples, listen, your life isn't going to be characterized by independence. It's going to be characterized by your pursuit of me. It's going to be characterized by, God, I need you. Okay, it's this helper distortion. Like that God's there if I need him, right? We're, we're, all, we're all guilty of that. We forget about God's presence. We forget that the Spirit of God resides inside of us. And then there comes times where, like, life falls apart, and you're like, uh, oh, yeah, God, help me. Like, it, hap- it happens to all of us. It, hap- it happens to me this week. I think the psalmist nailed it. In Psalm 28, verse 1, when he says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. What is he saying? I might as well die. Let me ask you two questions. Is there any sense of urgency in your life for the presence of God? Like, maybe, maybe, let me just just phrase phrase it this way. Like, you came here for something. When you got in the car and you drove here, was there any sense in you of like, God, man, I want to I meet with you. Okay, now, I don't, I don't want you to necessarily feel bad if you're like, kids are screaming, or maybe you had a hard morning, or like, and you didn't pray earnestly, like, you know, like, at the light, close, like, no, I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but all I'm saying is that when you come to this place, or when you're at home, when you're doing your job, is there a sense in you, God, I need you. I don't want to live independent from you. I don't want to make decisions at work, although I'm really good at making decisions at work. I don't want to make decisions at home, although I'm really good at making decisions at home. I don't want to do X, Y, or Z apart from your leading, your prompting, your help. Second question, is your life characterized by any sense of loving affection for Jesus and his commands? Maybe you're like, gosh, I feel like I'm doing okay. I feel like I'm doing okay. 
That's good, but it may also be very dangerous because Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Am I trying to scare you? Maybe. Maybe. But Jesus wants to shatter a sense of independence with his disciples and with you and with me and push us to a sense of growing desperation for him and growing obedience. Gosh, Eugene Peterson nailed it when he says obedience is defined as this long path in the same direction. Judas, 22, I love what he says. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He's like, will we be special? Jesus is like, absolutely, because I'm going to put myself in you. I'm going to mark you with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now listen to these words of Christ in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. He's like, I'm trying to get you to realize what's going to happen. But the Helper, the Paracletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. Okay, let's think about that a second. How, how does the world give peace? Because he says, here's another thing that's going to mark your life. Peace is going to mark your life. How does the world give peace? What? By force? It's a fight. You fight for it. <laughs> How else does the world give peace? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I could just... Get that raise. It'll be okay. You've been there? If my kids would just turn one year older, we'll get out of the diaper stage, or we'll get out of the tantrum stage, like, then we'll be okay. You know what happens? Like, you get to that stage, and you're like, I didn't do it. Like, how, how many of us, like, let's just be real. How many of us honestly sit here, and we're like, Man, if I, if I just made a little bit more money, I'd have a little more room to pay my bills. I'd have a little more room to maybe fix up the car so that it wouldn't break down all the time. We could maybe put away a little money and save. That would be so helpful. Now listen, it absolutely may be, but it's not where you'll find peace. In a nicer car, nicer computer, nicer whatever. It's not where you find peace. He says, my peace I leave you. But not as the world does. He says, my peace is eternal. I love this passage, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Peace is defined by a sense of our salvation. So I'll just put it this way. You cannot have peace apart from God first and foremost saving you. Awakening you. Plain and simple. You come to the point of your realization, I need God. I need my sins to be forgiven. And I need God's help. You can't have peace. Because peace comes through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, that's what then enables us to, what, love our enemies? Like, how, how do you do that? What, forgive people? How do you do that? How do you not take the mean words your kids say to you, parents, or a coworker says to you, and not just have it eat you up? you know your identity in Christ. You know that your peace first and foremost doesn't come from outward circumstances penetrating inward to you. From material possessions, from certain types of friendships or relationships, if I could just navigate this relationship, your peace doesn't come from people treating you well, treating you right. Your peace comes through Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared not guilty, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe your heart is troubled and maybe it's afraid. And maybe it's because you're running outside of dependence upon the Lord and a realization of God's unshakable identity over you. You heard me say to you, I'm going away. I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now, I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Like That's the hope for the disciples. That's the hope for you and for me is that this identity that we have as the people of God, with the Spirit of God residing inside of us, it gives us an unshakable sense of, is life easy? No. Is everything, we have always everything we need? No. But you know what? God's bigger than stuff. God's bigger than life. And God infuses hope into us because God engulfs our lives. you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk with you much, for the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You know what's crazy to think about? Jesus points out the fact that there's going to be spiritual battle because there's an enemy. It says the ruler of this world is coming. Who is that? It's Satan. 
how often do we tend to live our lives prepared to battle the enemy completely outside of our identity? We fight on our own, like, I can do this, I got this. Forgetting who we are. The box is a whole lot safer way in there, isn't it? If I were to take this out in the parking lot and run it over with Abe's truck. Try that later. Is that all right? He's all about it. That's right. <laughs> It'd probably get messed up. You would. But not near as bad <laughs> as if we took it out. Took you out of there. Tried to run it over all by itself. Listen. You and I, we cannot fight for our peace. And maybe you're coming here as this attempt to fight for your peace. Like, I've got to work so hard for just to be at ease. Listen to these words, the prophetic words of Zechariah in 9.10. He says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. He's like stripping all this armor and all this gear. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I believe that the number one reason why, at least this is my personal confession, the number one reason why we don't experience peace is because we don't experience rest. At least that's the conversation going on in my home in these days. And I'll be honest, my home most often is not at peace. Four kids, six and under, crazy, fighting, screaming, kicking, riding bikes, throwing stuff. I can help the baby. Oh, I dropped the baby. Like, it's not at peace. And then, oh, I respond, oh, you know, you should be more, po-. no, that's not really how I often respond. Like, and you know what we do? I fight. I go, we got to be at peace. We got to be nice to each other. And then we rush off to the soccer game. We rush off to the other soccer game. We rush off the community group. We, I got to mow. I got like, there's so much going on. And we're like, we got we to gotta be at peace. Our conversations this week are like, we can't be at peace. When there's, we can't, when we're not resting, we're not stopping, we're not finding our soul again and being reminded of our identity. We're trying to run outside of our identity. Yeah, honoring the Lord in all that we do. But the challenge for us this morning is that we have peace in Christ. We don't have to fight for it, we don't have to hunt for it. We just gotta stop enough to be reminded of the identity we have in Christ. It's with this notion that Jesus says to his disciples, rise, let us go from here. This is the means by which you get up off your chair, you get up off your face, and you have the ability to put one foot in front of the other and walk in loving obedience to Jesus Christ. Rise, let's go from here, for this is your God, this is your identity, and peace is yours freely.
Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. That you love us enough to not just leave us alone, to not just throw us under the truck, but you put yourself in us. God, awaken the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, awaken this reality that not only is the Holy Spirit in us, but we are marked because we're in Christ and Christ is in God. And what a freeing thing that is. And so, God, where we find ourselves running to our own things, living independently from you, would you break us? Would you lead us to repent? God, where doubt and insecurity come upon us, would you remind us of the identity we have? God, thank you that peace is freely given through faith. God, would you move as we respond? Would you have your way in Christ's name? Amen.